It's a, it's a joy to preach. I have always loved it. Um, well, actually, it's not true. I did not want to do it at all when I first started. Um, I was thrown into it. I had vowed never to ever speak in public again, age 13. Another 13 years later, I was thrust upon the stage and given the microphone because we were having a church split, and I was the only one that both sides could agree on. <laughs> That's my recommendation to you this morning. Um, no, uh, luckily life goes on and things happen. And something that's happened in our world today, Lil and myself and our daughter Chloe there, we have welcomed to the world um, our first granddaughter with Josh and Abby. So we're very excited about that. If you remember Josh and Abby, they were here for a year and uh, Josh was on drums sometimes, keyboard other times and... Uh, no, it's, it's wonderful. Our first, fourth grandchild and first granddaughter. So here we go. Um, well, we are going through the book of James, and I'm just going to recap quickly the points that we've done so far. Justin, our pastor, always introduces the message with uh, we're going through James and I realize apologies up front because James is a tough book it's very forthright it says some real hard truths and so here are the titles of the hard truths one trials and temptations to be doers of the word three faith without works is dead for taming the tongue Five, wisdom equals being a peacemaker. Six, warnings against worldliness. That was Pastor Steve did preach that one. And then seven, boasting about tomorrow. Don't do it. Um, and then today we have the last installment of James in chapter five, and it's called Patience, Endurance, and Prayer. So I'd like to read to you from James chapter 5, <coughs> excuse me, starting at verse 7. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and the spring. They eagerly look for valuable harvest, the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. And most of the prophets throughout the Old Testament, many, many, the majority suffered for their words, um, were imprisoned and killed for their message. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end. Yes, like 37 chapters of misery. And then three chapters, sorry, two more chapters of a telling off from God. And then finally, God blessed him in the last chapter. So uh, you want some inspiring reading? And if you're feeling like you are under pressure and under, uh, needing persistence and endurance... Read something else, not Job. It's depressing. No, I'm, it's, it's a good book. All the Bible is good to read. 
A man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end. That's the point of the book. It's a fantastic book. For the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. Just want to stop right there. For the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. So in spite of James having all these tough, difficult statements that we are likely and can quite easily read, listen, and feel condemned and feel convicted. In spite of that, there's moments in here that we just need to dwell on, and we're coming to the end of the book now, where James is wrapping it up, and uh, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. We'll come back to James in a moment. At the moment, I just want to pray for you. Pray for us all. Heavenly Father, we bring ourselves to you this morning aware that we live in a broken world and that there is times where we must be patient, where the things that we want to see we don't see and that living each day takes endurance. And I understand that we are nowhere in such a bad state as the church that was the recipients of this letter where they were being persecuted, hunted and killed. We don't have that, but nonetheless, Lord, the things we go through, whether that's emotional difficulties or unfulfilled prayer, whether it's the need for healing, relationship difficulties, financial difficulties, whatever they are, the things that we endure, we want to thank you, Father, that you are the God of tenderness and mercy. And ask your anointing be in this place as we sit in an atmosphere of education, learning, but also of prayer in your Holy Spirit, that you would minister to each one at our point of need this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. So when I think about some of the big events that have happened in Christianity from the moment that James was writing, only people who saw Jesus face to face were allowed to have books in what was eventually called the New Testament. When, when, the, when the church sat down, AD 325 I think it was, uh, and they were deciding what are we going to consider God's scripture in this modern Christian age? What are we going to consider a canon? They decided on the books that we have in the New Testament and they decided that only those who saw Jesus were allowed to have an entry. So anything that came after that, as wonderful as the preaching might have been, you've got 
all these names that, if you look through church history, pop up. And they, they wrote wonderful stuff, but not because they didn't see and speak with Jesus. Paul was allowed in while he didn't meet Jesus face to face. In person, he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. So, and then, so he took license there and went ahead and wrote half the New Testament. Um, no, this is, I'm talking retrospectively. 325 AD, uh, they sat down and said, These are, this is the New Testament. I think that's one huge milestone in Christianity over uh, our 2,000 years. Uh, another one, I would say, is... Um, in 1517, where Martin Luther nailed 95 points or questions onto the door of the church, things that he want, wanted discussed in the church because he looked at the church and the way that it was and he said, it's not good, this is, this is not what we're doing. Let's discuss these things because we need to shift some of this stuff if we want to be biblical. And, uh, and I think that was another a big moment. For example, some of the things that uh, he, he had issue with, Martin Luther had issue with, was um, the sale of indulgences. An indulgence was uh, a thing that you could buy in order to ensure your salvation and straight through purgatory into heaven. So you could, you could pay X amount of money to the church, or you could buy things like um, talismans or, or bones of saints. You could buy them, and that, they were supposed to help you get through purgatory. They were supposed to help you in some way spiritually. And he said, I, I disagree with that. Uh, he believed that the church needed to forget about these money-making ideas and these manipulative ways of getting money out of people and look at the second thing, which was true repentance where people didn't just do something bad, turn up on Sunday and say, forgive me, Father, for I've sinned, and have it. Okay, you've been forgiven, and then walk away. But no real heart change. Go away and do it again. So he was saying, this is not right. True repentance is what we need. And uh, three, the power of the Pope. He, he disagreed with the almighty power of um, the church and the state being the same thing, where the church was running the world, basically, uh, the the local world treasury of merits that you you save up the certain amount of good things that you can do that gets you into heaven or gets you through purgatory in fact he had a problem with purgatory itself anyway uh, the concept of it because it was um, in his mind he said look I think it's just been made up by man I don't see it in the bible anywhere and uh, things like true contrition biblical authority you know it was written uh, and preached in a language that most people didn't even speak in Latin. So you turn up to church, you listen to the whole service. What do you do while you're listening to a service in a language that you don't understand? So consequently, uh, Martin Luther went from there and he started writing and translating the whole Bible into his local German language. It became the Lutheran Bible. He finished it in um, uh, 1534. And he lived on, he lived, he was 63, he started was at 1483 and lived to 1576. So in his lifetime, he translated the whole Bible into his, his language. Uh, biblical authority, the priesthood of all, not just a certain number of priests, but we, Peter tells us, you are a, a royal priesthood, a people de devoted to God. And uh, Luther's statement was, it's not just priests who have access to God, we all do. We're a royal priesthood. Um, 
clerical excesses, the money that was being spent on huge buildings and cathedrals when the church and the people were starving. Remember, the church is basically the government as well. It's putting the money all to these lavish, lavish buildings. And, of course, salvation by faith alone. So he nailed them up. His goal in that was to help the church wrestle with these things and come back to a biblical understanding of what Christianity is and who Jesus is and what God wants us to do in our world. That was his goal. He wasn't trying to split the church, but that's what ended up happening. And that from there, uh, we call it the Reformation. I've heard a Catholic call it the Rebellion. Um, but what it did was it, it, it caused a split. He was excommunicated and it caused a split. And we have Protestant churches and Catholic, Roman Catholic. And, uh, and from there has been a development of many, many moments and changes and arguments. And look, a whole lot of nasty stuff has gone on. Catholics killing Protestants, Protestants killing Catholics, um, torture, martyring people all over the place. Are just all unchristlike stuff went on between then and now. Just, just horrific stuff. But like I said, that wasn't his goal. His goal was to bring us back to a point where we are living the word of God, each one from our very heart and soul and saved by faith, by the grace of God. That was his goal. Now, that was the second big moment. The third big moment that I see uh, in all of Christian history is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which started, we, we name it as uh, Azusa Street, 1912, where the Holy Spirit all of a sudden just started flowing out around the world. And from there we've had um, Pentecostal churches start up, charismatic churches, people who, who now believe that God is present and here and available for healing and available for, for answered prayer. And we've seen many, many miracles happen over the last century plus. So that's... that's kind of a big event don't you think those are my three the funny thing about these three is that the middle one Martin Luther hated the book of James see I did have a point telling you all that didn't I he called it an epistle of straw, a letter of straw in other words you can build houses with bricks but little pigs you know we can't build houses out of straw or sticks. Luther considered the book of James to be fluff and nothing. Why? Why, when he's this guy who's transformed the church uh, from then till now, he's had probably the biggest impact on our Christian history of any one person in 2,000 years, other than you know the early disciples and all that sort of stuff. Why did he hate the book of James? In fact, he said, here he is, get this, he's translating the Bible from Latin, I believe, into German, and he doesn't like the book of James and doesn't believe it should be in there. What's he going to do? Uh, well, when the Lutheran Bible came out, the book of James was still in there. And um, why would this guy think it's not worth having? 
He said, I don't believe it should be in the Bible. The thing is, you've got to understand where James was, sorry, Luther was coming from. Luther came out of a church scenario, a church system where, where suffering was quite, um, it was like, condoned it was a it was part of the process of being a Christian was you, you, you know you've got to suffer you've got to do penance you've got to sometimes they would beat themselves and though it's never known that he ever did this but the whole thing about salvation the assurance of salvation no nobody had that you had to buy your way in if you weren't wealthy then it was very difficult so you've got all these masses and masses of people most of whom believed in God but did not feel that they had any way of getting to God apart from all these stipulations of buying your way in and certain good luck charms and all the rest of it. The sales of uh, St. Catherine's finger bones went, you know, went wild. They were, she had so many finger bones around the world, I, I, she must have had 50 hands. Yeah, you could probably guess that they're fake and not, not the real Catherine, so... But you, you imagine if you were sitting here and you didn't have that assurance that you were saved. You would go home feeling like, okay, I've done the right thing today. I hope that's good enough. See, so James, uh, sorry, Luther has come to James and all of a sudden he discovers that James is saying, faith without works is dead. And so James is pushing the works aspect. Do the right thing. Do this. Do that. Don't do this. And Luther has lived his whole life under that. He hates it because when he was um, a young teen, a teenager, he was almost struck and killed by lightning. He had an encounter with a lightning strike that made him dedicate his life to God and he was going to become a, a a monk, a, a, fa a brother, a, and, and so he dedicated his life to God and from there he studied how do I ensure that I'm going to get into heaven because I know how easy it is to die. And the revelation that came to him was in Romans 17 that it is by faith that we are saved. Faith alone, faith alone is why we can be confident that we're going to step into heaven with Jesus. So, back to James. The power of prayer. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sin, you will be forgiven. That was a big long sentence there. But it was all about, are you sick? Call for the elders, be prayed for. There's an atmosphere of faith that we can tap into that is our very life. And you will be healed. 
And then he, he, he morphs out of that, out of the healing in, in the moment about being sick, and morphs into not just physical healing, but he morphs into spiritual healing. Because physical healing and spiritual, sorry, physical um, dis-ease, uneasiness, is a likened, it has links to spiritual disease or uneasiness. So if you're, if you're sinning, Peter tells us that uh, that'll hinder your prayers. That'll heal you, hinder your healing. Some of you got sick and died because, you know. So there's things that link through spiritual sin actually can sometimes manifest itself as physical problems. And so that's why he links it. Now, don't work the other way and say uh, physical sickness is always spiritual sin. It's not. But he continues on. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. That is just a wonderful, a wonderful verse. So if you know that you've got sin in your world, it's up to you to confess your sin to another Christian and pray for each other, pray through it. You choose who you are safe with and pray through with people. And, uh, and James says that in an atmosphere of faith, will bring about your healing. The earn, and here, here, here's one just for you. And I'm pointing at every single person. This comes down to Luther's statement about the priesthood of all believers. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. The earnest prayer of a righteous person. Okay, if you have had any need in your world and you have really been bringing it to God, that's an earnest prayer. You've been desiring something and you keep coming back to God with the same thing, asking, keep on asking, he says, okay, that's an earnest prayer, right, of a righteous person. Oh, hang on a moment, is that me? So there's the first barrier of a righteous person. You know, the, we used to sing this song, lift up holy hands to the Lord. And I remember struggling with that. Uh, my hands aren't that holy. Until I heard a pastor say, is Jesus in your world? Have you confessed your sin? then you have his righteousness upon you. And the holy hands that you lift up are not your own, but it's as if you're lifting up Jesus' holy hands. So where it says of a righteous person, that's you in Jesus' name. For the power of prayer, it's great power. I love that. I love that prayer has great power. I went to uh, one of our connect groups as a young fella. Uh, the guy would come along and he would tell me, I was in charge of the connect groups actually, and he, and he would tell me, oh, uh, if someone's sick, tell them to come to our connect group because we have amazing answers to prayer. Our prayer is powerful. And he would just tell everybody that. And I'm like, okay, that's faith. And I would. I'd say, oh, yeah, go, go to Jeff, go to Jeff's, uh, Jeff and Kerry's connect group. Funny, eh? But see, why can't we do that for ourselves? Um, 
my earnest prayer. I'm a righteous person. Prayer has great power. Let's do this. Produces wonderful results. In a moment, I'm going to um, ask for those who want to do what James is saying right here, and that is, are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you. If, if that's you, here's, here's how you can call for the elders. Just come down the front. And uh, while we are all standing, just walk down here, and uh, some of the elders, and I guess that means you, Mangs, uh, and me, um, and the other guys in our old blokes connect group, because um, we're all old. I mean, that, that, that's the criteria, right? It doesn't, what, what does elder mean? Doesn't it mean old? So Mangs is going to help me pray. But seriously... Do you see that the onus is actually on the person who has the sickness? It's not always on the... I mean, I love operating in word of knowledge and saying, look, someone here's got this or that or the other. That, that's fantastic. And that's part of God's way of helping people understand that faith, the Holy Spirit's in the room and that, that faith is here, that they have faith, I have faith. There's, there's this... We can have this faith in the God moment that that is. That's what that's about. But really, also... Added to that, we've got this moment where you can, you can step out and say, well, there's something that's been bugging me and I've been wanting it and I want it now. For example, uh, uh, as Josh and Abby were leaving town um, and I was heading down, they were going downstairs and saying goodbyes to the ladies, Abby, Chloe, Lil. They're having a conversation and, um, and I overheard as I was going past she was saying, well, I hope we get pregnant soon. And now I knew that this was a desire, and it had been for a while, but it hadn't been spoken to me. It was always hearsay. And so I took the opportunity right then. I thought to myself, well, Pastor Phil has this ministry. I've heard him say this in church many times, in conferences. Uh, there's this anointing upon me to see people who, who can't have children have babies. And, uh, and they're all around the world. There's people who, there's babies and children growing up um, that I've prayed for the parents to have, um, to conceive and have children. And there they are. He says, so if that's you, come down the front. People would always come down the front. Um, my wife Lil went down the front for a friend who wasn't saved and, and said, um, look, she's not here in church, she's, but, but can you pray on this tissue or hanky? What was that, tissue? Yeah. And, and I'll send it to her. And, and uh, Lil sent the tissue to her and said, Put it on your tummy, is that right? And, and she did, and um, next thing she's pregnant. Right. Uh, they'd been trying for ages. So I thought, actually I'll tell you one more story. Uh, Pastor Phil said, at a recent one, he said, um, a young lady came up to him with a baby on her arm and said, this baby wouldn't be here because of you. And he said, really, when did I pray for you? She said, oh no, you didn't pray for me, you prayed for my mother. He said, so that's my like first spiritual grandbaby. So I thought, well, if he's my senior pastor and he's my oversight and I've been under his ministry many times, then uh, I can just tap into some of that anointing that God has had for him. And why can't I just have some faith like he has and pray for this? And so I said, Abby, can I pray for you? Yes, may you be 
pregnant in Jesus' name, amen. Very short prayer and disappeared off down the stairs. Two weeks later, she's pregnant. Now, that can be coincidence. Literally can be. I'm hoping for more of those coincidences. 